0: The Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury Model System proudly presents Moving Forward, Personal Perspectives on Life After Brain Injury, a virtual speaker series for individuals with brain injury, family members, and friends. Sponsored by Kessler Foundation and Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation.
1: This series is sponsored by the Kessler Foundation as part of our TBI Model System Grant, which is funded by the National Institute on disability, independent living, and rehabilitation research. It's now my pleasure to introduce Carol Starr. Before her brain injury, Carol Starr was a self-employed as a corporate trainer. She was also a classical violinist and singer. In 1999, while in her home state of Maine, Carol was broadsided on the driver's side by a vehicle going 50 miles an hour resulting in a brain injury. Carol was unable to return to work or music and still lives with daily brain injury symptoms. One small step at a time, she's reinvented herself. Carol is now a national keynote speaker, the author of the award-winning book To Root and to Rise, Accepting Brain Injury, and the founder and facilitator of Brain Injury Voices a nationally recognized survivor volunteer group. Thank you, Carol, for being here with us today.
0: Resilience, Handling Life's Wild Moments, Brain Injury Survivor. This is presented by Carol J. Starr, MS, author, advocate, and brain injury educator, co-founder of Brain Injury Voices, and her website, starspeakerauthor.com. This was presented on Thursday, September 23rd, 2021.
2: Thank you so much. I am delighted to be able to to talk to you all today. One of the silver linings of the pandemic is being able to get to talk to groups from all over. I'm coming to you today from from Maine. And so I wanted to mention that, um, Jeannie mentioned we're gonna be doing doing Q&A at the end. So if you have, if questions come up for you during my talk, feel free to put those um, into the chat and I'll be handling those at, at the end. Um, Jeannie and Angela will kind of be curating those um, and keeping track of those for me so that we can kind of cover them towards the end. So I want to get started by finding out a little bit about all of you, about who's here. One of the, the joys of this technology that we're all using today is that we can do polls. We can find out a little bit about each other. So. Um, this is kind of also our opportunity to practice a poll because I have several of them interspersed through this speech. Um, so Angela, if you want to launch the first poll, it's going to just ask you kind of who you are. You get to choose whichever, um, however many, many descriptions fit you. And then when you finish the poll, you just hit submit. And then once, once everybody has had a chance to, to participate, Angela will put up the results for us so we can see who's here in this group. And all your, for all these polls, your answers are always anonymous. All right, so our, our um, breakdown is we got 38% of folks with brain injuries, 62, 63% folks with, as professionals and 6% folks as, as other. So wonderful. So I'm really, I'm so glad just to, to know kind of who is here. So let's get started. Resilience. Some of you might have seen the title of my talk and wondered what kind of wackadoodle word is resilience. It's actually a play on the word resilience. And that's what this speech is all about. And I promise you won't have to wait very long until you, too, know the secret of why this talk is called resilience: Handling Life's Wild Moments. So what is resilience? And why is it an important topic for all of us here, whether brain injury survivors or professionals? I looked up the word resilience. I'm kind of a word geek that way. And I learned that it comes from a Latin verb that means to leap back. I think that's important information to know because that relates to the traditional definition of resilience. Traditionally, we think of a resilient person is somebody who adapts well to adversity, somebody who bounces back after tragedy. Well, no offense to the ancient Romans, but I've got a bit of a problem with that definition. And here's what I don't like about it. I don't like those words bounce back because they imply that resilience means going back to normal, going back to the way life was before a tragedy happened. And so much of the time that just isn't possible. Adversity, whether it comes from brain injury, whether it comes from something else, it changes us. I know that in my own experience, I kind of think about brain injury like a meat cleaver that just sliced right through my life. And it sharply divided it into a before and an after, an old Carol and a new Carol, as much as I wanted to as hard as I tried. I simply couldn't bounce back to the old Carol because I am forever changed by my brain injury. But yet I am still a resilient person. All of us here are resilient people. So I'm gonna tweak our definition of resilience just a little bit. Resilience doesn't have to mean bouncing back after brain injury, after adversity. Instead, resilience can be about learning how to bounce forward. And why is bouncing forward an important topic for all of us here, no matter who we are, no matter what our role is in the brain injury community? If you're a brain injury survivor, resilience is something that can make the difference between a life spent looking backward at what was and a life spent moving forward with what is. It can mean the difference between a mournful life and a meaningful life. If you're a brain injury professional, resilience is important because when you're working with survivors who've had our lives shattered by brain injury, we have no idea how to cope with these unexpected, unasked for new lives that we're leading. We're lost. So no matter what your title is, we're gonna look to you for guidance. We're gonna look to you for strategies to help us to rebuild our lives. Resilience is also important for all of us outside of brain injury, because every single one of us here has been and will be challenged by wild moments in our lives. Those life events that shake us to our core, that change us forever. Think about things like the death of a loved one, the end of a relationship, a job loss, a medical crisis, a global pandemic. All of us right now have been in the midst of a a shared wild moment for the last year and a half. Unfortunately, it seems that adversity is just part of the human experience. Bad stuff is gonna happen to us. But here's the good news. Resilience is also part of the human experience. We can find a way through life's challenges and even grow stronger because of them. And that's what we're going to focus on today: strategies for bouncing forward and growing stronger after adversity. So normally at this point in when I give this talk in person, this is when I move away from the podium. I have a story to tell you. There's props and moving around. And I thought about, well, okay, how do I do this now in a virtual setting? Because you know, moving around with the props doesn't work so well when I'm sitting here in front of a virtual camera. So, or stationary camera. So what I'm gonna do instead is I'm gonna show you a video. This is a video of me telling this speech because this story, because this story, it is best told in front of an audience. So the video I'm gonna show you is from um, when I gave a version of this talk for the Vermont Brain Injury Conference a few years ago. And this, this um, story will also give you will clue you in as to why my speech has this unusual title. So here is the, here's the video. I have three points that I'm gonna make about resilience in this speech. But I'm gonna access those points by telling you a story. I like to do my storytelling away from podium, so I'm gonna step away over here. So the story that I'm gonna tell you, it is a true story. Everything happened. This story happened 10 years ago, actually exactly 10 years ago. It was early March, four o'clock in the morning. And I woke up because I heard this scratching noise and I was half asleep. And I thought, oh, there must be some kind of an animal outside my bedroom window. But as I continued to wake up, I had the horrifying realization that that sound, that wasn't coming from outside, that was coming from inside. There was something running around underneath my bed. So in a panic, I turned on the light and as the light filled the room, I saw a something dash out of my bedroom. I jumped out of bed, I closed the door, I jumped back into bed, pulled the covers up around my neck and I sat there shaking. What in the world had gotten into my house? And what in the world was I gonna do about it? It was four o'clock in the morning. It was much too early to call anybody for help. I could hear the thing in the next room and also realized that I couldn't call anybody because it was in the room where the phone was. So I sat there for a while and eventually said, well, Carol, you need to figure out what this thing is. So I gathered my courage and I turned on every light in the house as I went. and I tiptoed into the next room, which was my office. And there running along the back wall was this little creature. It was maybe this long. It was pure white, it had a black tip on its tail, looked like this. For those of you who are closer to the stage, I have a prop with me today. I had no idea what this thing was or what in the world I was gonna do about it. And as sometimes happens when I don't know what to do, I kind of froze. Or like two hours. (laughs) I just sat there and I stared at the thing. I wasn't afraid of it. It wasn't ferocious. You can see it's kind of cute. It didn't seem very scared of me either. I noticed that it liked spending time underneath the spare bed that I have in my office. That's where I store my gift wrap tubes. So it would go in and out of those gift wrap tubes and just kind of look out at me. And as I watched this thing, I thought, you know, I think this is a ferret. I think somebody's pet ferret has gotten into my house. I'd never seen a ferret before, but I had seen pictures of them and this kind of looked like it. And I remembered that the day before, there'd been a big snowstorm and I had gone out to shovel snow and my storm door had gotten propped open with the snow. I said, I bet you that's how this thing got in here. Now, the improbability of one of my neighbors being out in the middle of a snowstorm, walking their pet ferret, did not occur to me at that moment, but I was comforted to think, okay, this is somebody's pet that's in my house. So somewhere between six and 6.30, I decided to call my parents for advice, knowing that they would be awake at that hour or would not mind a phone call from me so early. So they had two pieces of advice for me. One, call animal control, and two, stop staring at the thing. So I took both of their pieces of advice I shut the door to my office, trapping my furry friend in there. I took a shower, had breakfast, read the paper. I called the town office as soon as they opened. They were able to come right away. It was the first call of the day. Animal control man arrives. We open the door to my office. The little creature's no longer there. Apparently he could go underneath the door. So we started to search my house for this thing. At first we couldn't find it. And I kind of half hoped maybe it was all a dream. Maybe I hallucinated the whole thing. But no, we did not find the beast again. It was back in my bedroom, on my bed, behind my pillow, looking out at us. I did a lot of laundry later on that day. Animal control man took one look at the thing and said, Ma'am, that's no ferret. That's a wild weasel. Hence the title of my talk, Weaselience. I think I went just a little weak in the knees when I realized I'd spent
0: the early morning hours
2: communing with a wild animal. Now, animal control man, by all rights, he could have left right there because his job is dealing with unwanted domesticated animals, not wild ones. But he was a nice guy. He said, well, I'm here. I've got nowhere else to be. Let me see if I can help you catch this thing. So we proceeded to chase this thing through my house. I now have a new appreciation for the phrase to weasel one's way out of something. (laughs) Because this little weasel weaseled its way out of every trap and snare that Animal Control Man had with him. So eventually we chased the thing into my kitchen where apparently between the baseboard and the cupboard is a little space. In went the weasel. At this point, Animal Control Man's radio crackled. He He had another call. He had to leave. That's when all the emotion that had been building up in me since four o'clock in the morning just came spilling out and I sobbed in front of the animal control man. (laughs) I think I scared the poor guy. He took pity on me. He said, well, I know somebody who specializes in wild animal trapping. I will give him a call for you. I'm not sure, but I think it was hearing the word trap because suddenly my mind went back to my early morning hours spent with the weasel. And I remembered how it liked my gift wrap tubes. And I said, can we set a trap for it? So we got one of those gift wrap tubes and we duct taped the end. We put it in that corner, hoping that there was only one way in and one way out. So animal control man leaves. I'm alone with my wildlife. I pulled up a chair and I sat and I stared at that corner. I cried for about an hour. But eventually, the weasel did indeed come out and went right into the tube. Admittedly, I had not fully thought out the next phase of this plan. (laughs) To this day, I don't know whether it was bravery or stupidity, but I grabbed the end of that tube and I rushed through my house with a tube of weasel. I went to to the front door, flung it open, and I launched that tube. Right out onto a snowbank. And then I watched, shaking from behind the safety of my closed door, as my dazed little weasel eventually exited the tomb, went bouncing across the snowbanks, never to be seen again. I'm sure I gave that weasel the ride of its life. Later on that day, the wild animal specialist at Animal Control Man had contacted did indeed call me, and he was pretty impressed when I told him how I had got that thing. And I will never forget his words of congratulations to me. He had a very thick, Maine accent. And he said, well now, aren't you a good little (laughs) drop-off? So that's my story. (laughs) All right, so I hope that you enjoyed that story you might be thinking, okay, Carol, yeah, that was a funny story, but what is that story doing at a brain injury conference? What does that story have to do with resilience? Well, as it turns out, my little weasel friend is actually a surprisingly good symbol for resilience. I looked it up and I learned that in Native American culture, the weasel is a symbol of fierce courage. All of us here know how much fierceness, how much courage it takes to face the life-changing challenges of brain injury. The appearance of the weasel is also an invitation to observe deeply, to find the hidden meanings of events. All of us, to find resilience, have to be willing to look deeply at our own experience, to find our own unique path to resilience. So, I promised you three lessons from my weasel story that relate to coping with adversity. And here they are. In order to bounce forward after brain injury, after other life challenges, it's important to overcome denial, to observe the situation and learn from the experience. For the rest of this talk, I'm gonna be unpacking those lessons and sharing specific resilience strategies within each one and I put those strategies, as well as a list of resources, together um, on a handout, and that handout will be emailed to you after the conference. So my first resilience lesson is about overcoming denial. Now, in my weasel adventure, even though I could plainly see that little creature that was running around my house, I still kind of tried to, den- to deny it. I didn't want to get out of bed to face it. I decided it was somebody's pet ferret, instead of a wild animal. I hoped it was a hallucination at first when animal control man and I couldn't find it. Denial is a really common experience after adversity. When something bad happens to us, like a weasel, a death, a divorce, a job loss, a scary diagnosis, a brain injury, a pandemic. Denial, it's often where we go first because reality is just, it's too hard to process. It is too much to bear. It's that feeling of, this can't possibly be real. This is not happening. After brain injury, did any of you have thoughts like that? You know, I know that I did. Denial can actually be good. For a while, it's protective. It gives us space that we need in order to eventually move towards acceptance. For example, in my weasel adventure, I think that I needed the time in bed with the covers up around my neck in order to process what was happening, what was I going to do next. However, the problem comes when we stay in denial for too long, because eventually it will get in the way of moving forward. I couldn't stay in bed forever. I had to rein in my fear, gather my courage to face an unknown creature. When we're dealing with a challenge be it brain injury, be it something else, there comes a time to accept what is, to move forward with a new reality. Letting go of denial, that's the beginning of resilience. It took me a long five years to stop denying my brain injury the symptoms, to let go of returning to my old life. It was about eight years until I reached full acceptance of my new self, my new path. When I think back, to my own journey with denial, what that was like to me, here's the image that comes to mind. A big old rock. Denial can be like a gigantic wall of rock. It's a boulder that gets in the way of progress, that gets in the way of moving forward. Here are some of the ways that denial showed up from, in my life after brain injury. Maybe some of these will ring true for you too. There was this frantic voice inside me yelling, no, 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 this is not real. Every night before I would go to sleep, my last thoughts would be, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow is going to be the day that I wake up normal. And this nightmare of symptoms is just over. I didn't want to admit just how confused I really was. So a lot of the times I tried to minimize and hide my symptoms. From my family and friends and medical professionals. I flat out refused to use strategies to get things done. I was gonna do things the way I had always done them. And I thought that the only way to move forward was to continue to push and push and push to get back to my old life as a teacher, as a classical musician, even though every time I tried to do that, I failed. Overcoming denial, it is a process, a slow process one that can be particularly difficult given the realities of brain injury. I know that it was for me. I like to think about things in terms of of metaphors. And here's how I think about the process of overcoming denial. I think about it in terms of planting seeds. Planting seeds that eventually can take root and grow and been, over time those seeds can grow strong enough to break through stone, to break through that rock of denial. When I look back at my experience, I've identified, well, I thought about, well, what were some of those seeds that helped me break through my rock of denial? And I think that these are seeds that apply not only to brain injury, but to other forms of adversity as well. And they are to learn about the challenge, connect with peers, and reflect on failure. With any challenge, we have to understand what it is that we're facing. Knowledge is a seed that can grow to break through denial. My own knowledge journey began, it was about eight months or so after my injury. That's when I bought my first book about brain injury. Due to my symptoms, I was struggling with reading, I still often do, but despite the struggle, I saw myself and my symptoms on the pages of that book. That recognition, it was both terrifying and comforting to me, kind of both at the same time. There were so many times when I wanted to run away from what I was reading in that book. But yet, I kept coming back to it to learn more because I was learning about myself and my injury at a slow pace that I could handle. And I think that's an important point, that overcoming denial, it has to happen at our own pace because trying to rush the process, all it does is overwhelm us. After all, seeds grow in their own time. So whatever the challenge is, learning about it, that's a step towards resilience. There's a special magic that happens when brain injury survivors talk to one another, because we get it. We have a shared experience. Peers can plant seeds that grow towards overcoming denial. It was a fellow brain injury survivor who helped me, who planted that first seed that helped me to get over my own denial about needing to use strategies. We met, we were both as part of um, brain injury rehab. Her injury was several years older than me, mine. And she modeled a level of acceptance that, that I wanted to get to. And one thing that she talked about was that she needed to use strategies. And that reinforced what my therapists, my family, friends, what everybody had been trying to tell me that hard truth that that I had struggled to accept. Sometimes I think it's easier to hear those hard truths from our peers, from people who share our journey than it is from family, friends, or even professionals. There is tremendous power when we can connect with others who share our journey, whether that's one-on-one, in a group, whether it's in person or nowadays virtual, because resilience grows when we connect with one another, when we swap our stories where we share our heartbreaks, share our triumphs, when we know that we're not alone in this. After brain injury, many of us, we try to go back to the way life used to be. Our old lives are what we know, so we try to get back there. We struggle, many of us fail over and over and over again. Being able to reflect on those failures and learn from them, that's another seed that can break through denial. For years, I tried and failed so many times to return to my teaching and my music. Then one day I was meeting with my counselor and I was sharing with her a whole laundry list of return to old life failures. And she asked me this bombshell of a question. She said, Carol, is it possible for you to accept that you're not gonna make a full recovery? And oh, that question, it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I instantly started sobbing. And in that moment, the fact that my old life, it really was over, it just seared through me in a way that it never had before. And suddenly I understood my failures. I had thought that I was failing because I wasn't trying hard enough. I've always been somebody who believed if at first you don't succeed, you try, try again. But trying hard, trying again, that wasn't the issue. I was failing because what I was attempting, it was simply too much for me. It was too much for my brain. Huge chunk of my rock of denial got blasted away that day. And that was when I finally stopped trying to go back to my old life, to go back to the old Carol. So my focus changed towards accepting and learning, well, how do I appreciate my current life? How do I learn to live with the new Carol? Every failure has something to teach us. Once we're willing to look at it, to examine it, and we can learn from our failures, resilience has taken root. So before we move on to the next section, I'd like to get some interaction going via breakout rooms, another another Zoom tool that we have at our disposal. One of the things I miss about in-person conferences is the ability to talk to each other. To, to share our learnings, to share ideas. So I'm gonna attempt within this speech to, to, to do that virtually. What we're gonna do is we're gonna send you off into, into breakout rooms in small groups for about five minutes to give you an opportunity to, to talk about these resilience strategies, to talk about, well, how do these apply to your own situation? Um, this is the, 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 the um, discussion topic here on my slide. Just to talk about the ways, how do how do these resilience strategies apply to you? How do they apply to your own life? So what's going to happen is is Angela is going to set up these breakout rooms. You don't have to do a thing. You just when it, when the when it comes up, up comes up on your screen to join the breakout room, just click click yes, and off you go. And then the computer does the rest. And I will put in, in into the chat this this discussion question too. So if you get there and, and think ah, what are we supposed to be talking about? Um, it will be in the chat for you um, as well. So you'll have, have five minutes to talk about this, and then we'll come on back. So, so Angela, if you want to do your breakout room magic. All right, there we go. So now that you've had a chance to talk about those strategies, we're, I'd like you to pick one of them, to pick one that is most helpful for you right now. Um, the idea behind this is that, that by the end of this talk, I'd like for you to have basically your own personal roadmap to resilience, kind of three of the strategies that are most helpful to, for, for you right now. So Angie's going to put up a poll of these three strategies where you just pick one, one that's most helpful for you at this moment. So it looks like got 33% learn more about the challenge. Connecting with others was 56% and learning from failures 11 And there, there are no right or wrong answers to this. This is just to kind of see where people's um, heads are with this, um, that it's all about what's most useful for you. So I encourage you to write down whichever one that, that you picked, because, again, that will, that will give you that, that, that roadmap for yourself um, for strategies that are most useful to you. So let's continue on. All right, so overcoming denial, that was about clearing the boulder. Now what? When we can't go back because adversity has changed us forever, the path forward seems empty, what do we do? We build a brand new structure. We build a brand new life. But how do we do that? Where do we start? One place to start is with observation. That's my second resilience lesson, Observe the situation. In my weasel story, I caught my furry little friend because I observed that it liked my gift trap tubes. There's no way I ever would have come up with that idea for a successful trap if I hadn't spent all that time in the early morning hours just observing the weasel's behavior. Learning to observe ourselves is a critical skill for building resilience for building our new lives after a brain injury, after other forms of adversity. The importance of self-observation, it has been recognized for millennia. It was the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates, among others, who said, know thyself. I think that one of my most profound and life-changing know thyself moments came all the way back in 2001, 20 years ago, about two years after my injury. And it was the self-observation that over time, it led to this new life that I'm leading now, one that includes this speech today. And the story of this observation, it is also the story of building resilience. And as I share my journey, I encourage you to think about how my resilience experience might relate to your own journey. And what I observed way back in 2001 was, there was this new desire in me that I wanted to use my hands to create, which was really strange because old Carol didn't care anything about using her hands. This was all new Carol. There was this little voice inside me that was whispering, make something. I think that no matter what challenge we're facing, we all have a little voice inside that whispers observations, that whispers self-knowledge to us, that can guide us towards resilience. That little voice inside, it's a quiet voice. It's one that we can't hear if we're living in the past, if we're trying to get back to the way life used to be. The little voice inside is the voice of the present. It's a voice that can point us in a new direction. When I listened to that quiet voice inside me, all those years ago that said, make something, that was the very first time that I turned away from the beating unsuccessfully against the closure of my old life and toward quietly walking to the open new one. And I think that's an important point that isn't enough for us just to observe the little voice inside, we have to act on it because observation without action, it doesn't get us anywhere. And one of the things that I've learned is that even the smallest of actions can crack open new doors. I started out really small, really simple with this paint by number. Because of my difficulties with fatigue and concentration and attention, at first, I could only work on this for about 15 minutes at a time. Then I'd be so tired, I'd have to take a nap for an hour or two. But yet, I loved doing this. When I successfully finished this paint by number, that made me think, well, what else can I make? So I got into other crafts, including jewelry making cross-stitching, photography. Our actions build on one another. I don't think it matters what we start with, where we start, because once we take just one action, more can follow, momentum builds, and resilience takes root. I think that one of the reasons that the crafts work so well for me is that they gave me an opportunity to experience success after I'd failed so many times to get back to my old life. I can't stress enough how important it is to find something we can be successful at. After brain injuries, many of us, we fail so often that it just sends our self-esteem, our self-confidence just plummeting towards rock bottom. Success, it can be like a shot of adrenaline. Success can help move us forward. The more success I observed myself having with the crafts, the more motivated I was to continue to build my new life. I think this observation applies to dealing with many of life's challenges. Start small, find success, and build on it. It was through the crafts that I also started to observe my sense of self returning. For a long time after my injury, I felt like all I am was a professional patient. All I had to talk about with others was my brain injury, everything that I had lost. Crafts, they gave me something else to talk about. They, They gave me another identity. Now, I was a person who made things. By making gifts for others, I could give to others instead of always being on the receiving end of help. I participated in an art show at the rehab hospital where I received my outpatient treatment. People actually bought my jewelry, which was so rewarding. Sort of my volunteering at that hospital. I taught other brain injury survivors how to make jewelry. That led me back to teaching, which has always been one of my core, I- core identities and another way to give. I began to observe that I am more than just a professional patient, that I can be useful in the world. It's just different than it used to be. Getting outside oneself and finding ways to give to others, that builds resilience. In 2003, I participated in a workshop on creativity at the main brain injury conference. As part of that workshop, I had a table where I displayed my crafts. It was also my very first opportunity to speak publicly about my brain injury. My speech was all of five minutes long, and I was so nervous that my knees shook the entire time I was up there. Sharing my story in front of others, being vulnerable, it was a risk, but I've learned that Resilience doesn't build unless we're willing to take on some risk, unless we're willing to feel the fear and we choose to move forward anyway. Resilience grows when we break new ground, when we push our boundaries one small step at a time. When I spoke at that conference, it increased my self-esteem, my self-confidence. It showed me there was power in my story, that I could use my story to help others. And it made me feel like maybe there could be some value, some purpose in everything that I'd been been through. And even though I was so nervous, I had this overwhelming feeling of I'm home. This, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is where I belong. And for the first time since my accident in 99, my way forward was clear. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to do more speaking about brain injury. Sometimes I think that when we're in the the midst of adversity, it can seem like the steps we're taking, they are so small. They are so slow. It can seem like we're not moving at all. But small and slow can grow into big and unexpected. And here's how that concept has played out for me over the course of my own brain injury. It's now been 18 years since I did my first five-minute knee-knocking speech about brain injury. Since then, I've gone from being part of brain injury panels to giving short talks, to organizing workshops, to delivering keynotes. In t- 2010, my mentor and I founded the main based survivor volunteer group, Brain Injury Voices. You can see the statistics of what we've accomplished together in 11 years. We're proof that when brain injury survivors, when we work together by focusing on what we can do, we can make a huge difference. It was by focusing what I can do one small step at a time that I, wrote, that I wrote my book, To Root and to Rise, Accepting Brain Injury. It Took me 12 years to write this book. It is a book and workbook designed to help brain injury survivors move forward with their new lives. That's the very definition of resilience that we're talking about today. The journey that led me to this moment, talking to all of you, it began with an observation. Began with listening to that little voice inside of me all of those years ago, that said, "Make something." Those words, "Make something," they're about so much more than just doing something with my hands. I didn't know this back then, but what I know now, are those words, "Make something," they also refer to making something out of tragedy, turning suffering into something meaningful. Now, I certainly did not choose to have a brain injury. None of us choose to have adversity visit our lives. But one thing we can choose is to make something out of it. Making meaning, that's another part of resilience. I'm choosing to make meaning as a brain injury speaker, a book author, the leader of brain injury voices. I never would have expected it, but through this, I have found my life's work. But there are so many ways that we can make something out of adversity. It's about whatever brings us a sense of purpose. That could be time with family and friends, volunteering, creative pursuits like art, arts, crafts, music or writing, helping somebody, caring for animals, tending a garden, devoting time to a spiritual practice. However it is that we choose to make meaning, the process begins with self-observation, with listening to our own little voice inside. So it's time again to stop for another another breakout room session where you get to now you get to talk again um, in small groups about these resilience strategies and how they apply to your to your own life, to your own journey. so Angela is going to do um, zoom you off into into the breakout rooms and I will um, I will type this into, into chat again so that you have the what, what you're gonna be talking about. And because there are more strategies here, we're gonna give you about seven minutes so that you can you can talk in your small groups about how you can apply these resilience strategies. We're kind of, it's like looks like find success and build on it was the most popular one at 37%. But again, there, there are no, no right or wrong answers to this. It is about whatever is, um, is most useful for you right now. And again, I encourage you to, to write this down as part of your own personal roadmap to, to resilience. So let's keep on going. Now, within this speech, I've kind of been building a resilience structure and I've been moving from the ground upward. Overcoming denial. That was the demolition phase. Observe the situation. That was the construction phase. My third phase, learn from the situation. That's about the big picture. That's about gaining perspective. There's always learning to be found in any life-changing event. That is one of my core beliefs. It's also an attitude that contributes to resilience. Now, Learning from life's challenges, of course, it doesn't change the fact that the challenge, whatever it is, is extremely difficult to cope with. Having a weasel in my house was not easy. Having a brain injury has been the greatest challenge of my life. But when we can figure out what adversity has to teach us and then use that learning to keep moving forward, that increases our resilience. When something bad happens to us, it's really common to ask, "Why did this awful thing have to happen to me?" How many of us have said something like that to ourselves? I know I have. The problem is that that question, it doesn't have an answer. That question tends to lead to sadness, to anger, frustration, disappointment. It doesn't lead to insight. Here are some questions that can ask that you can ask that lead to resilience. What can I learn from this situation? What does this challenge have to teach me? So, can a weasel be a teacher? Absolutely. The biggest lesson I learned from that weasel—it actually has to do with resilience. And what I realized after that whole situation is that it doesn't matter that how I handle situations; it is not always pretty. It doesn't matter if it takes me a long time to figure things out. If I cry while I do it, if I get confused, if I have to spend hours or days on the couch resting afterwards, what matters is that I know without a shadow of a doubt that I will continue to persevere and that I will slowly find my way. Brain injury has been the greatest teacher of my life. Here are three lessons that brain injury has taught me that relate to resilience. Brain injury has taught me to look for silver linings, to find humor and to express gratitude. Research supports that these are perspectives that contribute to resilience. It doesn't matter what challenge one is facing. I found these perspectives to be especially um, helpful during this time of pandemic. I've always been a big believer in the concept of silver linings, that something good can come from something bad. Brain injury put that belief to its biggest challenge ever. It is so challenging to find silver linings in something as life-consuming as brain injury is. It's so much easier to list all of brain injury's negative consequences. They're very numerous, very real. They turn our lives upside down and inside out. It took me years to find the silver linings of my brain injury. At first, all I had to hold on to was my belief that they were there even if I couldn't see them. And I'll be honest, there were times when my belief in silver linings, it was one of the things that kept me from ending my life in the early years. I had to believe there was something good that was going to come from all that I was going through. So if you're in that place where you can't see how there could possibly be any silver linings to what you're going through, please have faith that you can find them. You will find them. I think of silver linings as being on one half of a balance scale with brain injury being that enormous load on the other side. We need something that can counterbalance some of the downward weight of brain injury. Here are a few of my silver linings. Because of brain injury, I understand better what it is to struggle. I think I'm a better person for it. I have more empathy, compassion, perception, wisdom. Because of brain injury, I've become less of a a perfectionist. I've always been kind of a type A, hard-charging person. And now I say, yeah, I'm more like a type A minus kind of person. Because of brain injury, I have a clearer purpose in my life. Brain injury gave me a passion for a cause that my life didn't have before. Now, some of those silver linings might make it sound like, well, geez, brain injury was the best thing that ever happened to her. It wasn't. It was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Silver linings, they don't erase all of the many challenges of brain injury, but they do make them a little bit easier to live with. They even out that balance scale just a little bit. Being able to see the positive within the negative is a hallmark of resilience. So I encourage you to think about brain injury, think about any other challenge you're facing and try and find the silver lining. Adversity is not funny. Brain injury is definitely not funny. We can't change the bad stuff that's happened to us. But over time, we can learn to view pieces of it in a different light, from a different perspective. It was Mark Twain who said humor is tragedy plus time. Humor is an age-old strategy for coping with adversity. When life is falling apart, out of our control, sometimes all we can do is laugh. Humor, it's like WD-40. It's the grease that makes everything move just a little bit more smoothly. Now, just like silver linings, humor, it doesn't change the challenges of brain injury one iota. But it can make them more bearable. It took me time, but eventually, I learned to view my brain injury symptoms more lightheartedly. A lot of the time it seems like there are two very different people living in my head. There's me, and there's a brain injury. And I'll tell you my brain injury, she's kind of a diva. She's the one in charge and she gets what she wants when she wants it. She's kind of a drama queen. So I decided to give my brain injury a name, a kind of dramatic sounding name. I call her Brain Hilda. A lot of my Brain Hilda humor centers on my most challenging symptom, which is extreme and oftentimes unpredictable mental fatigue. I have rested every day, oftentimes multiple times a day, for more than 22 years now. As a matter of fact, I had a rest before giving this speech. I will have a rest after giving this speech. Due to my mental fatigue, that has meant that sometimes I have to rest in public places because when Hilda is taking me down, I pretty much have to obey. It does not matter where I am. So here are some of the odder places that I have had to take a nap. I have had to rest in a classroom at a craft store, in the coffin display room at a funeral home. I did not rest in a coffin. I rested on a couch that was there. I kept my eyes tightly shut because, of the, coff- because the coffins were all around me. I rested in the bedding department at a furniture store. I just, I just did that um, just a couple weeks ago. At a hotel bar, I had not been drinking and the sign did say bar and lounge. I rested at a golf course pro shop. On a fishing boat, and in the Washington DC conference room of my U.S. Senator. So given all that, I tell people I sleep around. My motto is one that any Star Trek fans would appreciate. To boldly nap where no one has napped before. Humor is a healthy choice we can make for ourselves. When we can laugh we are resilient. So I encourage you to look for ways to laugh to choose to be amused. It's been my experience that when life is at its worst, that's when expressing gratitude can be most beneficial. Given that we're living through an especially stressful times these days, I thought it would be beneficial to try a group gratitude exercise. So I'm gonna ask you to think about the following statements. If you'd like, you can type um, your answers into the chat, or you can just keep them, keep them to yourself. Today, I'm grateful for this person in my life, this simple pleasure I enjoy, this thing that makes me smile or laugh, this information that I learned today, As you think or write about your answers, how do you feel? Take just a moment as you think about what you're grateful for and pay attention to what's happening to you physically, mentally, emotionally. I know that when I focus on what I'm grateful for, I can feel my muscles relaxing. I feel a smile growing. I feel a lightness that starts to take over me. Gratitude. It is one of the simplest yet most powerful resilience tools that we have. Looking for and expressing gratitude, it is a choice. It's a choice we make for ourselves. It's about choosing to find something to be thankful for, even within the midst of the darkest of feelings. It's about letting the sadness, the anger, the fear of what's happened to have their place. It's not about denying those feelings. But it is about making a conscious decision to turn away from those feelings, at least for a short time to focus on being thankful. It's about finding a way to live with the harsh realities of brain injury, of adversity. So I invite all of you to look for regular regular opportunities to express gratitude, most especially during those times when you're struggling. It's time for our last breakout room session. Um, We're going to do this for about five minutes. And again, the opportunity for you to, to talk with your, in your small groups about these resilience strategies, silver linings, humor, and gratitude, and how they might apply to your life. All right. So it looks like finding ways to laugh was, was, was the one that got the most votes in this one. And again, no right or wrong answers. These are all wonderful resilience strategies. It's about whatever is most useful to you, wherever you are in your journey. All right. So we've been on a resilience journey today. We began with my funny weasel adventure, and then we moved through the bouncing forward lessons inspired by that. Overcome denial, observe the situation, and learn from the experience. To close, I have a little poem something that combines my serious topic of resilience with a little bit of weasel-inspired whimsy. So here's my closing poem. When life throws you weasels, what do you do? First instinct is to hide because you don't have a clue. Emerge from denial, look it square in the face. When you choose to turn forward, when you really start the race. Strategies are possible if you observe with care, Help can be found when you look everywhere. So learn from this moment, and you'll manage with brilliance. Then you, too, can proudly say,
1: I have we Thank you, Carol. That was a, a wonderful presentation.
0: This Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury Speaker Series was supported by a grant from the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research, grant number 90DPT-B0003. Interested in joining a study? Go to KesslerFoundation.org forward slash join. For more information about Mistar, the Northern New Jersey Traumatic Brain Injury System, research at Kessler Foundation, and Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, links are in the program notes. This podcast was recorded on September 23rd, 2021 remotely, and was edited and produced by me, Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation. Tuned into our podcast series lately? Join our listeners in 90 countries who enjoy learning about the work of Kessler Foundation. Be sure and subscribe to our SoundCloud channel, Kessler Foundation, for more research updates. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.